Welcome to Dr. Zoe Today, where the topics are always real, raw, and relevant about love, sex, and relationships. Warning, do not listen to this show if you are sensitive to controversial issues or easily offended. Dr. Zoe and her guests are not to be held liable for any shock, pissing of the past, sudden desire of change, or uncontrollable laughter. Now, here's your host, Dr. Zoe. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Dr. Zoe Today. I have with me tonight a very special guest who has been dubbed the Human Ken Doll by 2020. He's appeared on nearly every media outlet from Oprah Winfrey's network to E! Entertainment to CNN and many, many more. In fact, if you haven't heard of this guy yet, you literally need to step into the 21st century. Justin Jedlicka, welcome to Dr. Zoe Today. Hi, Dr. Zoe. Thanks so much for having me. (laughs) I'm so excited about tonight, and I want to congratulate you on all your media exposure. I want tonight to be very different, though, a different type of interview, something that people haven't heard or seen with you thus far. Justin, I want you to be unedited, uncut, real, raw, and relevant, authentically you. Are you down for that? (laughs) I'm down. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, good, good, good. So before we get started, for the record, at the moment, how many cosmetic procedures have you done have have you done thus far? So to date, I'm at 176 cosmetic procedures, <laughs> and, okay. and I think I've done a total of uh, 210,000 plus at this point. <laughs> oh my gosh! Okay, so 176 is the number. And tell my listeners the best place to go check you out. Sure. So um, all of my stuff is pretty simple. I have, we have our YouTube page, our Facebook fan page, Instagram, Twitter. It's all under Justin Jedlica. It's J-U-S-T-I-N-J-E-D-L-I-C-A. Uh, and it all links through my personal website at www.justinjedlica.com. Perfect, perfect. Justin, one of my branding tags has always been the opportunity to reinvent yourself presents itself daily. I think that that describes you very well. <laughs> I love that saying. That's amazing. It's like something you stole right out of my mouth. <laughs> okay, so I want you to tell my listeners how you grew up. Like, where did you grow up? Were both parents in your home? Did you have brothers and sisters? Kind of paint a picture for us. Sure. I mean, I grew up in, in upstate New York uh, in a lower-income family. I was the uh, oldest of four siblings, um, three boys and one girl. My sister is the youngest. And um, I don't know, there, there, there wasn't a lot extra to go around. We kind of shared everything. There was, you know, all of us just boxed the three little bedrooms with one bath, lived in a dirt driveway, and built our chimney on our house, and heated our house in a freestanding coal-burning stove that I used to shovel coal into twice a day. So, wow. you know, my, my, my parents did the best of what they could, but, you know, my, my dad didn't make a ton of money, and my mom was a stay-at-home mother. So life okay. was pretty simple back then. Okay. Now, I know the media has dubbed you as the quote-unquote human Ken doll, but I personally think you have, like, a much more exotic look. Like, I'm Greek and Italian. Um, you know, Ken is like an all-American looking, you know, doll. So what's your ethnic background? Because you have, like, your skin tone is so gorgeous. You've got the dark hair. So what's Aww. the ethnic background? Well, thanks, Dr. Zoe. I appreciate it. My my mom and dad, honestly, both of their parents are both from Bratislava. So it's the Slovak mm. Republic. So Eastern European, you know, honestly, I'm kind of like a purebred in that in that sense. Um, I mean, I actually love multi-ethnic, having a multi-ethnic look. So um, right. people ask me all the time, you know, is your background of Asian descent? Is there Latin in it? 
Um, I get Indian all the time. So um, I think, I, you know, I tell people I'm Slovak mixed in with some plastic. And that's, that's sort of how you get the, the, my look, I guess. It is sort of unorthodox, but I, I look like that. It's sort of multi-ethnic and it has a very yes. different sort of quality about it. Something yes. very distinctive. It's very distinctive, how did, I guess. How did you feel when you got dubbed the human Kendall? I mean, publicity, great publicity, but, I mean, were you kind of like, hey, I don't really look like Ken. Just because I'm hot doesn't mean I look like Ken. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I understand that initially it was just said as a passing thing with 2020, um, that that whole bit wasn't actually even about me trying to look like a Ken doll. It, right. it evolved from that show, and it was sort of, you know, the idea that, of course, I've, I've, I'm made of plastic implants kind of now. Now, at this yeah. point, I have 12, yeah. 12 implants in my body, and we're only adding more year by year. So, so you, know, you, you assimilate that to that with a plastic doll. And, and so that was sort of the cute assimilation of Meet Our Human Ken doll. Um, and the whole thing of taking it literally, I think, spanned from the media connecting the dots that they wanted to. And uh, we had Valeria, who was sort of the real human Barbie doll, out at that point. And people were looking to pair her with a partner. <laughs> got you, got you. Okay, and whatever works, I, right? I mean, it I much, works. I much prefer Ken dolls over Barbies anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and and exactly, you are open about your sexuality. At what age did you realize that you were gay? Was it something you always knew, or did, was there like a time where you came out, quote-unquote, or what? Well, I mean, people teased me throughout my childhood because of my mannerisms and having them be effeminate, the fact that I was always really um, focused in on the arts and not necessarily an athlete and interested in sports. But, you know, for me... Were you bullied? Were you bullied in school? I mean, I I think like many kids, I I think I definitely was. I felt like a lot like an outcast as a kid. I think, you know, not having any sort of like um, finances to back me and sort of be able to sort of be sort of the runt of the litter, if you will, in high school where literally I was still shopping at Goodwill. I mean, there's no money set aside to go to college or get a nice car. Um, Yeah, I mean, I definitely feel like in that sense, I I, I felt like I was behind a lot of the other kids that had more opportunity because their families were just born uh, with more education levels and, 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 you know, had a a better upbringing as far as their connections. Okay, so, like, your parents, did they always know that you were gay or did you, like, date girls first and then date guys? Like, how did that work? Well, I did that whole thing where we said I was dating girls, you know, we hold hands. But in all honesty, there was no intimacy with women until after I actually came out as a gay male, which wasn't until I was um, 18, 19 years old. And, you know, I went through this whole stage. I was was brought up Christian, and I was Mm. taught that it was wrong to be gay. And I just thought I did everything like I was supposed to. I was an overachiever, always made sure I had A's and part of the National Honor Society. And, you know, the the repertoire of things I was doing to prepare myself for what I thought I was supposed to be in life was was all checked off, like, like I thought it was supposed to be, like my mother drilled into me. And yet still I was fighting with my inner self that was saying, hey, like, the girl thing isn't kicking in, it's not happening, and I wasn't willing to really accept that until I was 19, and I told my mom, you know, that I, I, I was interested in men, and I didn't know why, but it, it hadn't gone away, that urge to abuse men hadn't gone away, and, and the girl thing hadn't kicked in. So for the yeah. moment, I needed to kind of explain myself to her, because I don't expect there, that my mother to understand or my family to understand, but I expect them to love and accept me, and I think those are two different things. Yeah, at 19, I couldn't take it anymore. I had to. And how did they, and how did they take it? And i got to tell you, Justin, as the confidential coach to, you know, high-profile clients, I hear this almost every day um, from sure. people and how they were raised. So you were raised in the church. Your family went to church and things like that. You're an right. honor roll student. You're doing all the right things, and, you know, you feel this sense of guilt. And this is 
is something that has come up a lot with my clients is that, you know, when they have a, you know, a sexual preference or whatever it may be, that there's like this sense of guilt if there's a religious upbringing. So, um, so you, how did they take it? How did your mom take it when you told her? Well, you know, honestly, the only thing that really prompted me the courage to come forward to my parents was honestly that my parents had separated and were, and were beginning to go through their divorce, so my father wasn't in the house anymore. Okay. Um, and then when, when I did talk to my mom, she really didn't – I had been seeing somebody, and, and we had an argument, and, and then we had broken up, and she said, you know, that I seemed upset, but she didn't really know what was wrong. And I said, well, you know, me and my boyfriend broke up, and she, she was pretty cool with it. And she said, well, that, you know, you must be really upset, and – you know, how do you feel? And I said, you know, I'll be fine in a little bit. And, and the questions came in the days to follow, but it wasn't an intense outburst, really. And okay. little by little, you know, she began to sort of be inquisitive and ask me questions as to why I would choose to live like that. And I had to and explain I to love, her that it, it wasn't a you, choice. I love what you said a few minutes ago about understanding and being supportive are two different things. And to all the parents sure. listening out there, you know, that's a very profound statement. Okay, what was your first sexual experience with a man? Ooh, um, well, I couldn't even tell you my first one, but I would say I would say full full on intimacy, full sex. I, I was fourteen. Wow, <laughs> that's really young. You right, think? So I don't think so. When I okay, okay, people, all right. Think, well, you know, we all have our all right. So, fourteen years old, and you had full on uh, sex with a male. Like, right. so was it somebody from school? Was it somebody older? It was, was it? It was a uh, no, my, some of my own age bracket. Actually, my father had um, a business colleague that we had be, he had become buddy with, and we were invited over to their family's house for dinner. And um, they had and you were getting children. busy with the son upstairs, and you thought he was hot, <laughs> so he's we having did. his little business dinner, and dad is breaking bread with a business client, and Justin's <laughs> upstairs seducing, or was this guy was this guy already um, gay as well, or was it someone that was straight? No, and and to this day, actually, still not out to his family because he just he just doesn't think they'd agree with it. But um, wow. no, I'm very very masculine. You know, he's in the air force now. Very smart guy, uh, and we still stay in touch. Like we're still really great friends. Uh, okay. And, and we were best best friends and roommates for a long time after that. Even. Wow, cool. So you yeah. did you actually have a relationship with this guy or? No, it was it was just uh, a fuck buddy, in all honesty. But it was a long, it, it, it became more than that. We, it was we a long-term in, t- fuck buddy with a masculine a, male that, you know, a, wasn't out. A friendship with benefits, but okay. yes. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Okay, so when did you make the decision? Like, how old were you? What is the memory that you have, to the best of your recollection, to have your first plastic surgery? Oh, um, I, I wanted to have plastic surgery. I started to become enamored with it probably by the age of 14 or 15. Okay. And, you know, for me it was very emblematic of, of wealth and celebrity, and I was really, really, really interested and enamored with Michael Jackson. I don't know who wasn't, I guess, in the 80s. But, um, you know, I was brought up with him, and I, I thought he was so iconic, and not just his talent with music, but, like, his look and and, and really, like, the audacity to step out looking like that and, say, and owning it, you know, and, and realizing that he was somebody that was going to be seen by everybody, and he didn't care. He wanted to do what he wanted to do, and I respect that so much. It, to me, it's such a testament of strength. Right. Um, and, and whether or not that was his motivation, that was what I got from it when I used to look at him. And, um, you know, otherwise, you know, you look at, like, Dolly Parton or Joan Rivers, all those people that have really, really um, – identifiable characteristics when you look at them. You can't mistake them for anybody else. And, and part of what you read, of course, is the plastic surgery, but part of that also means to me or meant to me as a kid that they had money. 
and that, okay. and that, that they had wealth, and that that, that plastic surgery was a luxury item. That okay, I couldn't so afford you're as a drawn kid. to it like at 14 or 15, and as a teenager, like what were some of the jobs? Because you know it's out there. You got your first plastic surgery like right when you turned 18. So what were some of the jobs you did to save for your first surgery? So, I mean, I was lucky in the fact that my mom worked at a country club, so I had an inn at this one country club, and I was a banquet server for, oh, God, six years. I waited tables there wow. and did weddings and all different types of functions. Additionally, I had my own um, small business that I did doing faux painting, marbleizing, aging, antiquing, texturizing, wood graining, because I really always was interested in painting and sculpting, and that was just kind of an extension of what I liked doing anyway. So, and it was an apartment yeah. basis. And it was You're, great because it taught me a little bit about business, doing tax write-offs, and that was something that my family really didn't have any clue about. So I was, I was so beginning my way. So you got to like self-educate yourself in those areas. And you to are be a, bit a of very an entrepreneur. Yeah, and you are a very autistic person. Person, I mean, we've talked and like you're just extremely artistic. Share with my listeners some of the things that you've done artistically aside from designing your own body. <laughs> so, you know, what are some of the things like you just mentioned? Something it's like what are some of the things artistically that you've been interested in? You know, throughout your life. Well, I mean, like I said, I was always big into sketching, painting, sculpting. Uh, Specifically, the female form always really actually attracted me when I was doing art pieces uh, more than the male form, in all honesty. I love the curves on women. I think they're so beautiful. But, um, no, and and, and now, you know, obviously, like I talk about it being an art form, I mean, it's bled into this. Uh, pardon the pun, but it's bled into me now, you know, working my way into the business of doing implants. And, and what we've been doing is sort of what I'm doing is, is uh, you know, templating my own implants. I realize that there might be a want for other people to be able to benefit from what I'm doing for myself. And and so that's led me to sort of want to put out my own implant line. And I've been trying to uh, plow down that road to be able to educate myself. And, and I've tried a non-disclosure with the company. And, and I'm attempting to see if I might be able to actually do that. Um, to really make a big difference on the male side or should I say the muscle augmentation side of plastic surgery. Right, right. That's awesome. That is so awesome. I love that. I love that you're so highly intelligent, and I don't think that, you know, people haven't taken the time. They're just like, wow, here's this dude who had all these surgeries. This is crazy. Like, they haven't taken the time <laughs> to really know who you are, and that's why I wanted this interview to be different. Okay, I want to get down to the nitty-gritty. I want you to tell me about your experiences, like, in discovering your sexuality. Like, what kind of – describe the journey for us. (laughs) Well, after I came out at 19 to my mom, um, shortly after, I I ended up dating a lesbian for a while. That was interesting. Um, (laughs) Okay. she was really masculine. So mom's probably like, oh, my gosh, you just told me you're gay. Now you're with a lesbian she, woman. Okay. She, she totally was. She was like, I just got used to you bringing home boys, and now you're bringing home girls that look like boys. Not to make the overgeneralization about lesbians, but it just so happened that my girlfriend, Rachel, was extremely butch. Okay. And it was so funny because it was total role reversal. She, she was much more of, like, the chivalrous um, sort of type of a character that's wow, typically cool. mas- masculine side of things, and I was much yeah. more of the feminine side. How long was with her? How long was how long was that relationship? It was short, but we were together about four and a half, five months. Okay, and then you start dating boys again. Right? Yeah, well, I was yes, yeah, yeah. I went back and forth. I mean, I, I slept with a couple of other bisexual girls for a while. I got really involved in drag when I was a kid, um, and that how was old? really how old were you? Hmm. 
I when I first I was it was just it was during that first relationship I had so I I must have been eight nineteen eighteen nineteen years old and my friend brought me out to the clubs and I was just so enamored by like, <laughs> the stage presence and the glamour and and the whole show of, of, of having holding everyone's attention and being so talented and artistic I mean it just takes so many different attributes to be able to pull that off and, and be great at it. And it was something so that I knew start, I wanted to do. Did you start dressing in drag at that point? Were you like in the shows? Did you start did you start dressing well, in I, drag? I started doing talent competitions in it. It wasn't just like I was dressing up to go out for the heck of it initially. Um, I started doing talent competitions and attempted to get on a house cast, which I did pretty quickly. Um, and, and I did drag for professionally for about four and a half years. Uh, and obviously that also helps on the income side of things and enabled me to travel a decent amount up and down the East Coast and perform. Now, are you getting surgeries during this period of your life as well? Well, I mean, I had my first nose job at, you know, 17, 18 years old. So uh, I was doing procedures, not not necessarily to feminize my body. I wasn't having hips done or breasts done. But, um, you know, it ended up that I was always really attracted to, like, very masculine, if you want to say, quote, unquote, straight or, or do I say curious, curious guys and that was something that led me to find uh, I guess a sense of acceptance and validation when I would get attention from those people and I started to really go out in drag even when I wasn't getting paid and okay, let me little, let me ask you this for me. all right yeah. let's fast forward so has is this still something that you enjoy are you still getting dressed up in drag or is it that now you have you're getting these implants and these surgeries done and it's like a different type of artistic expression or how is that how is that metamorphosis happened with you as far as I like it I still I still do dress in drag on a rare occasion. I'll do, you know, a charity event or a fundraiser once or twice a year, but it's not to the extent that it was when I was in my 20s. Why when do you think 20- it kind of fizzed out? Like, what do you think it was that kind of fizzed out for you? You know, I felt that when I was in my 20s, even when I came out and started participating in nightlife and being around other uh, homosexuals and other, other gays around me, that I really still didn't feel like I was accepted being an overly effeminate gay guy. And yeah. I ran I ran into a lot of heartache with people saying, you know, why are you trying to talk like this? Why do you have a lisp? Why are your wrists broken? You know, wh- why are you attempting to act like this? And I was just being me. But genuinely, it once again made me feel like I was on the outside. And then when I started dressing like, like a woman, I actually got all these people telling me, oh, you're so pretty and you're beautiful. And I was really skinny and lean. And it just seemed like the mannerisms and everything clicked and what everybody else was telling me might have been true. Maybe I was born the wrong gender. And that just adds so much level of complexity to think that, like, wow, I actually could be born in the wrong body. But I never disliked my body. And what okay. happened was over, over time I ended up dating more mature guys. And I sort of sloughed off the people that were in my own age group, my peers, and I started dating more mature, polished men. And the truth is that those people worshipped me for those things that everybody else was telling me were wrong about me. And, and they really loved that I had a finesse about me and I had a polish and that I was overly groomed and overly upkept. And I didn't have to pretend to be somebody else. I didn't have to put on a costume to go out there and say that I was a drag queen. They, they genuinely were attracted to me for me, for Who all the attributes right. that I had. Yeah. And, and so I that felt, gave you so the self-confidence in accepting yourself and seeing that, you know, you could be yourself and be accepted. So that was basically how it kind of phased out, is that you were able to just express yourself for Justin and who you were, and it was no longer needing to get dressed up for the acceptance. Is that correct? 
Totally. And, and it was really interesting for me that when I decided to have my tech implant, it, it was very much asserting the fact that this was a decision I was making to stay a guy. I was comfortable with being a man. And this was only going to reinforce that. Okay. Uh, for, I mean, just for the record, though, so gender identity has been something that you have gone through as an individual. Totally. Okay. All right. And that's, that's huge. That's huge that you now have come to the point where you're accepting of who you are and you're expressing yourself through these surgeries. In relation to art and sculpting, like what were the first implants? Because I know you're totally famous for designing your own implants. What were the first ones that you designed for your own body? The first, the first one that I customized were my pectoral implants, my chest. Okay. And so how did that, like, you're very much so a visionary. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've only known you a short time, and I the, love the connecting with you. I, I think you're amazing, <laughs> and I know you're a visionary, and you're highly intelligent as well, and artistic. Um, what has been, how have some of the doctors worked with you, Justin? Because I know you can be, you know, you can be kind of like me, like I'm a diva, and you want things a certain way, <laughs> and you're like, look, this is what I want. Here, I've designed my own implant. Plants, you're going to have them, we're going to have them manufactured, and you're going to do the surgery, but I want it a certain way. So how have the doctors worked with you in collaborating your specific goals? I mean, I, I definitely have a commitment to the process, but once I undertake modifying one body part, I, I don't get side attacked. It's a little bit like tunnel vision. Okay, we're going to finish this until it's at least 90% correct. And it does take the right doctor pairing with each procedure. I mean, I, this last surgery that I'm planning right now, I've gone through eight different, I call them interviews, or you want to call them consultations with doctors, to be able to work with someone in tandem and somebody that's allowing me to really have a decent amount of say and, and moreover, really design these pieces from scratch. Uh, But it definitely takes their input as to, you know, where they're comfortable and and what's feasible with the human body. I've studied a decent amount myself, but it's something where we both have to be comfortable and in the know. But you're right that I am very particular with things, and I have uh, a very focused, intended vision with with each procedure that I do. And and you're right, I don't accept something overly subpar. Yeah, because, Justin, to, you know, Justin, to the average person, 176 cosmetic surgeries sounds fucking crazy, okay? Well, it's procedures. So the average person is out there listening, (laughs) procedures, okay, so surgeries is a certain amount, but cosmetic procedures, because we're not talking about, like, all the fillers or this or that, okay? So surgeries, cosmetic procedures, 176 cosmetic procedures, still sounds crazy, okay? So, (laughs) of course, for these major ones, like, you've got five implants in each arm, Correct. Correct. Okay. And you, so what else, what are some, you got the pecs done, your ass is done, right? Right. What else? um, uh, We've done five nose jobs, cheeks, lips, chin. Uh, Each of them has had a series of different procedures. Uh, I had a cranial brow bone shave where they cut you from ear to ear across your head and grind down the cranial bone. Um, Holy shit. Holy shit. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Okay, so so to the person, the average person listening, okay, and, you know, what, I mean, how much research do you do on these doctors before they perform these surgeries? I mean, you just said that you did, a, you know, an interview with, like, eight different doctors, and it takes a certain type of doctor to collaborate with you. But how much research have you done on these doctors? And have you kind of stuck with the same ones? Like, have you, like, built a rapport with some of them? Like, oh, they're awesome at their craft, so I'm going to stick with them? Or how's, how has this worked? 
You know, I definitely do have doctors um, that I work with consistently for certain things. Some doctors, you know, I, I deem as facial specialists, some are body guys. The issue that I'm coming to at this point is that I've done all of those sort of what I would say are mundane, run-of-the-mill surgeries, face work and body work that you would normally be able to do. And now what interests me are doing things that have never been done before. So there are awesome. no real, quote-unquote, specialists. So That's it's really awesome. going yeah. through and picking the doctor's brains. But I spend an innumerable amount of time calling these doctors and chit-chatting with them and talking to the staff and coordinating with the implant companies and a massive number of revision on these implant designs before they even uh, come into the doctor's hands for them to sort of okay. So this last set I've been working on about seven months, and we've had five different meetings with the doctor until we really have a vision that we both agree to, we both like how we think it's going to work. That's awesome. That's really but, but, good. And, and that being that being said, though, I have there. It's not to say that just because it can done, I've done it. I mean, I flew down to Central America to have eye implants done. It changed the color of my irises. And I you're flew kidding all the way down me. There. You're no, kidding me. That's possible. I'm wearing contacts, and you had fucking irises put in your eyes. Like oh, I wear contacts contact a lot. So gay. I know. I mean, I still wear them sometimes. I, I'll just, you know, whatever. I haven't had anything done, but I swear we're going to hang out and you're going to tell me who the best doctors are. Well, because, you know, I'm going to need surgery sooner or later. You know, I love my tits right now, but, hey, 10 years from now or whatever the case may be. And I love the whole, fact that you're just, you're blazing trails. And you're, well, thank you. Yeah, you definitely but are. My, and, my ahead. whole point with what I was trying to say with that is that I went all the way down to the Central America to have that procedure. And still to this day, I wish I had green eyes, but I don't. You know, I sat there with the doctor. I talked to him about the procedure. We went through the pros and cons and the possible risks, and I opted out of it. And okay. so I had, flown, I had flown me and my posse down there. We were set up there for 10 days. I had okay. spent the expense to go down and still sometimes too much the of a risk too great. Or why did you opt out? What was the reason? I mean, you've had all this stuff done. I mean, what was it? Too risky? To me, to, to me with my understanding, I, I was not willing to take the risk. I had had vision problems before that I had corrected through laser, and I didn't want to even open up the possibility of being tied to the ophthalmologist again for a cosmetic reason. So I opted away from that. So I, I don't undertake everything just because you find a doctor that says yes. I mean, that's why I've had right. eight different doctors I've, I've sat with and tried to talk to you about this last surgery. And out of the eight, five said no, three said yes. So I had to sort of narrow down who, if any of those guys, I even wanted to go with. I didn't, I didn't go with the first one that said yes. Do you study their skill set? Do you, like, look into uh, the work that they've done? I mean, I know you've been a guest on Botched as an advisor, you know, and talking to the doctors on Botched. But, like, have you – do you study their skill set? Do you look at their work? Well, I, I don't know if you saw, but, you know, I do offer a uh, consultation service where we pair individuals with specialists now, and, and I am, you know, choosing the specialist for particular reasons, and, and a lot of what you're saying is correct. It's hard to know as a lay person if you're not overly involved with the plastic surgery junkies and the recovery houses and the nurses. Right. It's difficult to make a choice in a doctor, and you're spending a lot of money and a lot of time in recovery, and, you know, you would hopefully not choose to repeat if you didn't have to. Um, and so that being said, it's really a large pool of people to pull from, and, and a lot of that is referrals and just having people that are comfortable with you, that have expressed, you know, their interest, and you've seen them through the process to be able to see what the end outcome is. And certain doctors, I just think, for, for my taste, have a certain knack for, let's say, mm-hmm. nose jobs. And they may not do the best facelifts to me, but they do amazing noses consistently. Right, right. When I sit so. down and talk to the doctors, I know they might offer the gamut of surgeries, but I want to find out what they're passionate about. What they're, right, t- t- right. Typically, they're detail guys and they're body guys. And just because they both may offer everything doesn't mean that they really get off, right. if you will, 
on doing everything. So I would like to know what it is they love, and I'd rather do each procedure one at a time the right way than do a combo and get a half-assed job done. Well, so far, so good. So far, so good. And <laughs> what you. would you say, Justin, like approximately off the top of your head, how many doctors have uh, worked on you? Ooh, for anything, including procedural? Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't even tell you. I got to be near. I got to be near eighty to hundred doctors if you're going to wow. count everybody. Okay. <laughs> Anyone who's yeah. ever touched you with a needle, yeah, you're you're easily at eighty to hundred doctors. Easy. Okay. Have any family or close friends tried to talk you out of getting so many cosmetic procedures before? You know, in the beginning, my mother and my father were really not um, cool with me getting my nose done. Actually, my father refused to even pick me up at the hospital in advance, and my mother, um, you know, disagreed with my choice, but in the end, she did decide to come and pick me up. I didn't care either way. I was doing it. That's why I had chosen my doctor when I was 17. They wouldn't sign off on the consent mm. form to allow me to have it when I was 17, so I had prepaid it and set it up for three days after my 18th birthday. Wow. Um, because I was going to do it with or without their consent, you know, and, and they wouldn't, so I had to wait. And that was their way of sort of trying to protect me. What about now? My, now? My what about, like, people What about people you come in contact with now? Do they ever try to, like, talk you out of it or say, hey, why are you doing this or anything like that? I mean, my mom may mention here and there, but, you know, at the end of the day, she knows she's going to be there for the surgery. She knows that I always check everyone's credentials, and I'm overly careful with all that. And it is a risk, but it's a very planned out, uh, a low low risk, I would say, overall with, when I have my procedures. It's, it's very sort of, it's very calculated. Um, and more so than many other extreme sports or wrestling or bodybuilding, yeah, all those yeah. other things, I, you know, they don't get picked on. I think, I think for people who don't know me, sometimes people go, well, why? Because it looks fine. And, and when you say, when you say that to me, sort of you miss the whole point of what it is I'm trying to do and what it is I'm trying to achieve. There's not necessarily a perfect that I'm trying to go for here. It's the, the consistent state of change and modification is what sort of excites me. Mm, so there, there, yeah. is no end, there is no end point. And the ability to sort of use my own creativity and be my own creator, in a sense, is what excites <laughs> me and brings me, back, brings me back to that drawing board where I, yeah. I, can, I can build my own Frankenstein. You know what I'm That's saying? That's awesome. And That's I'm awesome. I'm my own guinea pig. Let's so, switch gears here a little bit. I want to know how you met your husband. Oh, so I was living in New York City because I had moved there to be to husband hunt and, and be a housewife, hopefully. That was a goal of mine. <laughs> and, um, and oddly enough, I met my husband in London of all places, and mm. unfortunately he lived in Chicago. So uh, my dreams of, of being a socialite in New York City went away rather quickly. But... Um, we sort of just we met up online and then we set up a date in London and Soho and um, we ended up spending two days together and after that he was really persistent with um, getting me to meet up with him and um, and our relationship started rather quickly. I mean, within two months we were exclusive and um, uh, he was getting over a divorce and he has two children. He was married to a woman, so there you go with my typically liking straight. With straight, serious men. I yeah. love a project, I guess. I don't know. I'm a glutton for punishment. But um, <laughs> I think, okay, I, so think he I was just like corrupting good boys. Yeah, okay, like so he was them. going through a divorce. You met him. After two months, you're exclusive. How long have you guys been together? Been together five years now. Five and years. We were, we were civil unions um, last year in June and married last year in July in New York. Awesome, awesome. How would you describe your relationship with him? 
I think our relationship is great. I mean, we argue like any couple, uh, none, none of which is about plastic surgery, by the way. Um, it's just difficult when you have someone who's trying to come out. And, you know, I always say, he, he always gives the analogy that if, if gayness was a swimming pool, he would be, like, dabbling his foot in the kitty section. That's, like, one foot. And I'm doing, <laughs> I'm doing flips off the high board into, like, the 10-foot portion of the pool. Yeah, so yeah. For me, I, I'm rather loud and eccentric with it, and I've really learned to be proud of who I am. And, and for me, someone who isn't like that, I view it as, you know, them not being proud of who they are and being a bit meek and wanting to hide. And whether or not that's the truth, I'm consistently trying to pull him out of his shell farther. And he's a, a lot more conservative than I am. But he's, so, very, he's very supportive of everything that you're doing, I'm sure. A hundred percent, he is. That's yeah. awesome. Okay, so before you settled down, you've been with him for five years. Before you settled down and you went through, you know, this metamorphosis with the cross-dressing and all this stuff, was there a time in your life where you were, like, promiscuous or playing the field and kind of searching for who you were? <laughs> of course. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, I mean, so was it kind of like, okay, I'm tired of all these, like, empty relationships, and then you were searching for something more meaningful? Um, <laughs> You're I laughing. Guess. You're having flashbacks. I can tell. You're thinking about a lot of flashbacks right now. Okay. There, there, there is a lot of them, yes. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, so let's go to my no, next I, question because I can I, tell you're kind of like skirting a little bit on me, Justin, which I'm surprised. But let's go to the next question. Okay, so obviously sexually active after the surgeries and all this kind of stuff. So I'm very curious about this, and maybe you can call this the perv and Dr. Zoe. But So like when you're fucking and when you're like getting kind of rough, are you ever worried like about the implants in your body? No, I, in fact, I always tell people harder. <laughs> <laughs> Never. If, if, if anything, it just, it just acts like a bumper, just sort of like it makes so they can't damage me. <laughs> I, I, I look at them as body armor, so you know. Okay, you so hear, like when you, you get when they get rough different. with you, it near never like like don't mess up the like don't mess me up like I'm a work of art here. <laughs> only only with my nose if I'm getting face fucked. That part, <laughs> I, have to, I have to be a little careful. I, I don't like getting rug burn on my nose. So. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so how about like what what guys have told you like about like how it feels or what has your husband told you as far as like how the implants actually feel do they feel like different than regular muscle muscles I mean, my husband always makes a joke and it's true to, I, for him he says that my plastic surgery turns him off it, and in all honesty my my shoulder implants that i have the six children implants that i have he calls them his handlebars Oh, that's awesome. That's what they call my titties. Yeah, okay, cool. All right, cool. All right, so so when you, like, when you held your first, like, implant in your hand, like, what was, what was your identification with that? Like, what did it feel like to you? Well, actually, it's so funny because I just saying that I am holding an implant in my hand. But um, <laughs> I'm, in the midst, I'm in the midst of designing some for my friend. But um, I was was smacking that pectoral implant. It was a tester sample against my arm. And I'm like, I felt something like this. And it was so funny, automatic clip in my brain. And it feels just like like a dildo, like the rubber silicone (laughs) from a dildo. So it's soft, yet it's malleable. Um, yeah. It has like a texture to it. It's really pretty. It's pretty cool how soft they are and how much they mimic muscle. But definitely, yeah. that's, that's what I would assimilate it to for the listener. 
Okay. All right, cool. All right, what has been the wildest thing that's happened with all the media attention you've gotten? Oof. <laughs> um, I, I, don't know, I don't know if there's any one thing except, you know, the, the, it's become a daily ordeal to, like, go outside and everyone take a photo. And, and it's cool. Like, I, I am an attention whore. I love the attention. But sometimes if I'm attempting to focus on a friend or a conversation or catch up with people, yeah. it, can, it can become a bit impossible when I don't want to seem like a bitch and then tell people no, but in another token, I don't want to disrespect the person that I'm trying to focus on and, and, right. and really listen to and reconnect with. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know if there's any one insane thing. I mean, I go on a lot of these talk shows, and it's, it's crazy the people they pull out of the woodwork, these, like, quote-unquote professionals that come in there to diagnose me, and they've never met me except, you know, on the studio itself during filming. Yeah. Um, but those things kind of flabbergast me, and, and it is amazing to sort of see how, how the editing can sometimes be um, – be, so no, no stalkers, down. no stalkers, no like crazy guys like trying to come after you, nothing like that. I don't know. If you I can mean, stalk I have stalkers. You don't have stalkers? I mean, I'm sure you do. There's nobody um, that's been like, like overly like, oh, I'm dying to meet you. I gotta meet you. I'm so in love with you. Nothing like that. I mean, I just take it as flattery. <laughs> yeah, 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 flattery. But it can, it can get creepy sometimes. Like, there's a lot of, like, you know, there's a lot of weirdos out there, too. Okay. I, mean, I, I, haven't, I haven't had an issue. As far as I'm concerned, I haven't had an issue yet. Okay. So what has been the most disappointing thing with the media? You mentioned, like, these experts that come on these talk shows and stuff like that. Like, do you have any pet peeves when it comes to the way the media is portraying you? Um, you know, I just I have an issue when when they want they want to talk about the issue of plastic surgery. They want a conflict resolution show. I get it, but when they won't let me have my professionals on, but they want to put me up against a professional, I can be the most educated individual on that stage. And if I don't have MD after my name, the the audience won't listen. And, right. and, and and the more aggravated I get and I attempt to educate those people, the more they have these people on the show obviously to pose the conflict and cause the drama to then say, well, you have BDD and I'm like, you have body dysmorphic disorder. And I say, no, I actually don't. And then I try to explain what it is and I get screamed over on the stage and before you know it, it's cut out. And then, then when you say, well, it's because I actually think I look good and I think I was blessed with great genes, I don't see defects anymore to fix. Right. So the, and then at that point, then I'm called. Then I'm said I have narcissistic personality disorder. <laughs> so, so I, I can't win. I can't win here. Okay. I, I okay. So right all. now on Doctor Zoe today, here's your chance. Is there anything you want to tell the world to set the record straight about who Justin Jellica is? <laughs> um, I, all I can say is that you know I'm not what you see for those five minutes on TV. I'm so not narcissistic, and uh, I really, really care about other people. And, and and a lot of what I'm trying to do is really bring awareness to to some of these sort of like neglected niches. I mean, being gay as a as a minority, that the gender. Uh, youth is, is also puts you in another minority category and sort of bringing those things to light and talking about, you know, it's okay to be you and own your passion and own who you yes. are. And, and if you can actually bring something new to the table when you're talking about those things, you need to shoot for the stars and yell it from the loudest point that you can because that's the only way that other people who maybe aren't as brave are ever going to gain any acceptance in our community. And I feel like I've been given a platform to be able to do that. So if it's a little too overboard in people's faces at times, I would say please humor me because it's doing a lot of other people good even if you can't necessarily connect with it. 
Awesome, awesome. What would you say, Justin, to a young man out there listening right now that is, like, suppressed, he's suppressed his sexual identity and is afraid to express himself? I mean, you have to be true to yourself. I, though I always I always sort of talk against the white picket fence notion is what I call it. People who are trying to, to live the way right. everybody else has told them. Society's the only way, yeah. The only way I feel like I got out of that lower-income bubble, that bubble that said, hey, you're going to be a worker bee just like your dad was. You're only going to be privy to this, this very small, simple life. And not to say that that's bad, but the only way I ever gained anything in my life was by going outside of my comfort zone. People say this all the time about my surgery. Are you afraid of risk? That's like saying, are you afraid to go and attempt to get a new job, to go apply and show up for uh, a new boss and put yourself out there for the job that maybe you feel like you're not educated enough to the point to be able to carry right. through? Sure, maybe you feel that way, but you won't know if you can conquer it until you try it. And by right. not There's trying no, it, you're There is stagnant. no reward, no reward without risk. You got to take the risk. That's what it's all about. Worth having comes without taking risk. That's right. Absolutely. What's next for Justin Jellicott? What are some of your goals, visions, dreams, aspirations? Like what? What's next? Well, with all the media attention, um, it's been really a very cool trip to be able to say, like, you know, now that we have so much interest, I'm working on a book, and actually, what we're talking about is plastic surgery, body modification. Um, capitalism and how that sort of affected into our community um, with with looks and the expectation of looking a particular way. And we're talking a lot about sexual identity and those things I went through as a kid. So that's in the works at the moment. Uh, the consulting business is something that's been so great right now um, and working with this arsenal of doctors that we have put together and really giving people great referrals that I stand behind. And I've seen so many people have such great results. That's been really amazing to really be making a brand out of this yes. attention that's been giving me from something that, in all honesty, just came from a personal hobby. I never expected it to go anywhere. That's um, awesome. And hopefully, hopefully we'll end up with a reality TV show, and that's what I've been pitching around and trying to work with different production companies where we have a regular skin. People can get to see a larger scale version of sort of who I am, what I'm trying to do, and what my family life is like. Um, I think that would be pretty cool. I mean, most people don't really realize that I'm a husband – that I'm a son, and that, you know, we have this major support group around me with people really rooting me on to be able to be a pioneer in the field of plastics, and that all these other people who are really naysayers and haters don't even really come into play in my life. (laughs) They don't know you. You have not had the opportunity. I don't think you've really had that many interviews where the um, media outlets were interested in who you were. But when I initially talked to you, I was like, okay, this is an intelligent guy. (laughs) This is an authentic guy. And you cracked up when I called you authentic because it was like, oh, yeah, I'm totally plastic and I'm authentic, Dr. Zoe. All right, what we're going to do, Justin, is we're going to take a commercial break. When we come back, We're going to answer your questions, the listeners' questions on love, sex, and relationships with Justin Jellica. Shouldn't the product you use in your private parts be organic? Introducing Sex Butter by Dr. Zoe, a healthy, organic, and even edible vaginal and penis lubricant. Naturally enhances sexual pleasure, promotes arousal and orgasm, is antifungal and antibacterial, and smells delicious can be used with a partner or alone. (gasps) Purchase your sex butter by Dr. Zoe and the Dr. Zoe Today app or at drzoetoday.com. That's D-R-Z-O-E-T-O-D-A-Y.com. Everything is better with the butter. Mm. 
Okay, awesome. If you have a question about love, sex, and relationships, you can submit it right on the Dr. Zoe Today app on the Ask Dr. Zoe tab, or you can go to drzoetoday.com and submit your questions there. Justin, are you ready to tackle some of the listeners' questions? (laughs) All set. (laughs) Okay, all right. So we get hundreds and hundreds of questions every week and maybe thousands, and we just pick out a couple, and for all of you that are like, oh, what about my question? If we don't get to it, we will try to get to it. But Max wrote in, and he wrote, um, how do you feel about labels when it comes to people's sexual preferences? So we'll both tackle these. I'm going to go ahead and let you answer that first. I don't know. I don't think I really adhere to any labels, but you would have already assumed that that would be my answer. Um, I don't really like labeling myself. It's sort of, you know, where life brings you is where I think you should go part. I mean, you do have to be smart about your decisions, but I think that by limiting or saying I'm not going to because so-and-so said this is a bad idea, I just think you're hurting yourself. You're not helping yourself. And the only, the only thing that life really is about at the end are experiences. And I think the only thing you'll regret are those things that you didn't try that, that maybe not even that you wanted to, but maybe that just popped into your head and you wondered what it would be like. Then I would say go for it and try it out for yourself so you have the knowledge to be able to say whether you did or didn't, and, and then you don't have any regrets. Right, absolutely. I think that we're all created as individuals. I think each one of us have different uh, sexual preferences, different fetishes, different, you know, ways that we want to express ourselves. So I hate labels. I can't stand labels when it comes to, you know, everything from even, you know, sexual preferences to, like, ADD, ADHD, all this crap. It just, I can't stand it. I think it's an over-labeled society that we live in. So I say the same thing, just live authentically. Okay. I agree. Sam, Sam writes in, I'm a straight man, but I like wearing women's panties. Sometimes, uh, something about it turns me on, but I'm afraid it's a turnoff to the ladies. How can I pull it off as sexy? Ooh, uh, transvestism is interesting. I don't consider myself a transvestite, even though I did drag. Uh, but getting a sexual kick out of it, uh, I don't know. I mean, you have to own it, I guess, and, and sort of talk to your partners about it and see if they're interested. Uh, there are definitely clubs that sort of, that really endorse that, that, that behavior and that type of dress and, and, and you know, really um, give it an empowerment. But um, I, I don't know. I think honesty is sort of the best policy. you got to feel somebody yes. out and to let you go there. Absolutely, absolutely. Sam, I think that it's all about who you're with, like finding a person who's open-minded, and then you can pull it off. And if you're straight, it's going to, you know, it's going to have to be an open-minded female. So, you know, I think it's about finding the right person and just owning it and being yourself and not being afraid of it. Because if you hide it in a relationship, it's, you know, you're not going to be, you know, you're not going to be fulfilled. You're not going to be satisfied. So well, whatever. Well, out. Get your freak on. Get your freak on. Okay, Kate. Uh, Kate writes in. Uh, she says, I'm really wanting to get my boobs done, but my husband is dead set against it. He's afraid it will bring the wrong kind of attention. How can I talk him into it? Do it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about talking him into it. I, I mean, I think the biggest thing you'll see is the amount of confidence that you get from it. My mom did it after her divorce, during the divorce, and it was amazing to see how much confidence and self-esteem that brought her at a time in her life when she really should have been devastated and hurting. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I talked to him about it, but in the end, you have to make yourself happy, and if that's something that's going to make you feel good and empowered, then I would say go for it regardless of what he says. 
Yes, I say go for it, but I also, you know, here at Dr. Zoe today, we want to we want to make your relationships better. We want to help you spice up your sex life and marriages. We want to see you your long-term relationships last. So what I say is the way that you can talk to him is just be very sensual and sexy with him and just say, you know, baby or daddy or whatever you call him. Just be like, baby, this is for you. Like, my titties are going to be for you. And that's the way you can talk him into it and just be like, you know, yeah, they're going to make me feel good and I'm doing this for myself. And I want to feel better about myself, so that's why I want to get it done. But my titties are for you, baby. And I think that's I a good way to, like, talk him into it. You know what I mean? Doesn't all this boil down to to trust, though, trust and or insecurity. Right. I mean, if your husband is really saying, don't do this because of the way other people are going to react to you, he has to trust that you're still right. there for him and that that other attention, you might, you might hear it, you might get it, but it's not going to cause you to stray. So he has to, trust, he has to trust in you and your commitment to him, and, and then, you know, you have to sort of let the chips fall where they will. But if it's, he's insecure about himself, you don't not try to better yourself because of how somebody else really isn't measuring up. That's a whole other show. If he's insecure about himself <laughs> and you're, like, wanting to go out there and do your thing and be who you are and he's suppressing you, then, you know, then you shouldn't be with the well, guy in the first that's place. Gonna give you, if that's going to give you confidence and that other person isn't there on the same level and, and they're afraid that you're going to be beyond them or sort of outside of the right. scope of where they thought you were before, where you're intangible and maybe you're better for somebody else and not for them, then I definitely think that that could speak negatively towards them and their own self-image. But that's that's me. true. That's <laughs> very, very true. Good point, Justin. Very good point. Okay, James writes in. He says, my penis is on the small side, and I'm looking into having penis enlargement surgery. I'm wondering if you have heard of any success or horror stories with this procedure. Um, tons. I, I love reading up about phalloplasty. <laughs> so there, there are lots of different things you can do. There are solid silicone implants you can do. There's fat transfer. You can do silicone injections. Um, I, they run the gamut. Alloderm sheets, which is basically sterilized cadaver skin, they implant for girth and or length, depending what you're trying to do. There are even testicular implants for gentlemen yes. who want a more weighty yes. look to, yes. to their scrotum. So right. it's all out there. Um, in all honesty, there's a lot of variation in, in what I mean the outcomes be, and different people have different expectations of that procedure, too. So I think it's really on a case-by-case. Case. I don't know if there's any one thing that I would say uh, seems to work even 90% of the time as well as most men would hope. It doesn't ever seem to be an easy journey, but um, you can definitely make an improvement upon. Um, some people go overboard. I have one friend who has a 13-by-16-inch penis. So Holy it all depends shit. what you're what? trying to achieve. Wait, 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 what? <laughs> I 13 do, I by 16? 13 around by 16 long when he's a rock, yeah. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. And he's not black, so don't ask me that question next, Dr. Zoe. Okay, but, I mean, okay, well, if he was, he probably wouldn't have gotten it. I mean, really. I mean, even though all men are, you know, created differently and not equally differently, every penis is different. <laughs> but, okay, but, like, I, I'm just curious. So you, because you've studied this way more than I have, and, yes, I'm familiar with it and, you know, all of it, and I think that if it's something you want to do, definitely go for it. And, um but my question to you is, what about, like, um, as far as, like, ejaculation and orgasming and things like that? What have you heard from people who have had it done? The, the most common negative aspect of that that I've seen is that, you know, if you decide to do a ligament cut, which can give you anywhere from zero to two inches of gain in length. Um, but that's not having have... an implant. That's just having a ligament no. cut. That's like in the well, scrotum. Some... 
some people do them in tandem with, like, let's say, alloderm sheets or fat grafting. So you're right, it wouldn't affect ejaculation. Sometimes you'll just have a diminished angle. So you could have a fully erect penis, but sometimes it can be staring straight at the floor still. Um, so okay. it, it'll, fill, it'll fill with blood, um, but it, it, it sometimes doesn't elevate like it used to. And in some cases, it does, and it's fine. It's exactly the same. There's no testament to any doctor being better or worse for that. It, it strictly is how, you're, how you heal and how your body is. But typically, what you see externally at the, on the penis, of sort of what's outside, is also there internally. So when they cut that ligament, that's the hope that things will come down. But it still requires you putting weights in and doing stretching exercises with it. Or sometimes you can end up with a smaller penis than you started with after all the scarring and encapsulation starts happening. So um, it just it, it really a very big variable. As far as ejaculation, no. I mean, can you deaden some of the nerves? It's possible. Typically, nerves will regrow if you just nick the small ones if they don't cut a main branch of them. But okay. um, you know, I run into, I run into the same risk with my implants in my arm. What was the what was the reason for your friend that did the thirteen by sixteen inch penis? He actually did it himself, and he did a series of silicone <laughs> injections. Um, I also think he did all his own body and uh, tattoos while he was in jail. But um, he's, a, he's, a, he's a really cool guy, very like puppy chulo, muscly, been on steroids since he's been 17 years old. He looks like a caricature of a human being. And in all honesty, he actually is an artist. I lied to you. Wow. He's a painter. He's a painter in New York City, and he can't even wear like regular jeans or trousers. He has to. He can only wear like athletic, like uh, yeah, because so, he's, and, he's and, hanging 16 inches is a lot of he inches. He has to wear biker shorts, two pairs of biker shorts to hold it up against his legs. Holy crap! <laughs> it's, Holy it's crap! It's definitely something to be seen. He does webcam porn too. Oh my gosh! I, I'm so just so curious. I'm so curious. You can find right it now. online. You can. Yeah. Thirteen inches round, sixteen long. Okay, I've seen some big cocks, but that is pretty damn big. Okay, anonymous writes in. I've been cheating on my wife on and off for two years with another man. My wife and I get along great. We have a beautiful daughter, and we've built a successful business together. But she doesn't satisfy me sexually. I have an incredibly strong sexual chemistry with this man, and it's extremely confusing to me because I never considered myself gay. I'm really unsure how to handle this whole situation. Any advice? Okay, I'll I'll go first. You go second. Um, First of all, I would say let the wife go. Obviously, if you're not gay, you're bisexual. If you have a strong chemistry with a man and you've been, you know, with a man for two years, then you need to live your authentic life. And obviously, your authentic life isn't being married with a child. So business or not, money or not, whatever it is, you can't, you know, put this poor woman through this let her you know be a good father move on with your lover be a good father and try to talk to her like just communicate and you know ease into it you know don't just like shock her with it but talk to her about it gently feel her out you know through you know a series of conversations but communication is key and there's no way you should go on with this charade in my opinion what do you think Well, I think that, you know, it would be good if you talk to your wife about it. Optimally, I would say you got a kid together, you got a great life together, you don't seem like you dislike having sex with your wife, you haven't said that, Uh, just that you do really like having sex with this one man. I don't think that you necessarily have to get divorced. Personally, I would say, I don't know if I would do that. My husband came to me and said that he had to have sex with a woman to be fulfilled, but it was strictly a sexual need. I would say work away. Um, Everything else in our life is great. I don't feel like that. That's that big of an issue. I don't think sex is the only thing that dictates what a relationship should be. For me, True. for me, sex, sex is a part of it, and I, I view it as a bonding experience. But a lot of my husband is like a typical guy, and I think most women can probably relate to it. We have a lot of maintenance 
sex. They men require maintenance sex, right? All the time. <laughs> my, I'm like, I'm with my husband five years. He still wants it every day, and I'm like, what are you trying to prove? We've already done it every way. <laughs> but I think a lot of men view that as love, and I think a lot of men need that validation. Yeah, to, to of be course, able men to need that. Love. I mean. Men do need that. Women need it too, though. There's a lot of sexual women out there that aren't satisfied in relationships as well. But a lot of women are not aware of the fact that you need to let your man leave for work or leave on the business trip with empty balls. Like, you've got to suck them off. You've got to fuck them. And it is maintenance. And it is maintenance sex. And at least you're aware of that. And you're, you know, and women are also more emotionally, typically emotionally motivated. Now, I'm not saying always or across the board, but I'm saying that for me, what I feel like I've found with women is that typically they they want to feel that emotional connection and then they'll give themselves. Not all of us. Some of us just want to be fucked, guys. Yeah, some of us just like to be, yeah, some of us like to just be, yeah, but some of us just like to be fucked. And the best thing is, is when you're with someone and they know when you want to be fucked and when you want to be made love to. And sometimes it's a bonding experience and it's, you know, and it's beautiful and it's making love and it's enjoying and it's connecting. And other times it's a romp. It's like bend me over the sink while I'm brushing my teeth and fuck the shit out of me. Like, you know, there's... it's just, I think every person is an individual, and that's what the show is all about, is to encourage people to live, you know, as their individual selves. Well, and if his wife is interested genuinely and, and open to it, I mean, if they're open to bring people in, you can always do that with your partner. I mean, I don't see a flaw with it. I mean, if you've been with someone a while, if he's interested to bring other men in and she's okay with it, I don't know if they do it together. That never that works. I'm telling you, Justin, I've been, oh, I've been on, counseling people. I've been counseling people since 98. Every time they bring a third person in the bedroom, it always fucking fails. Well, I'm not Either saying, I'm not the saying a polyamorous relationship yeah, or a throttle. Right. I'm just saying sexually. I think, I think men can just have sex like a handshake and you can peace out. I don't know that you actually even have to have people's names. Men still want to feel like it's like Betty Boop, like, boop, boop, I still got it, Eddie. <laughs> then they, they want that moment. It can be 10 minutes and they're fine to be out the door and they don't know your name. But I also think that's why women take such offense to it because I think women want that emotional connection and so the right. assumption is that men have to have that emotional connection in order to have sex with someone else and I don't really typically think that that's actually the truth. Okay, okay. I, I totally agree with you. You know, you're making a very valid point. It's a very, very true. Okay, let's talk about the next question from Shelly. I can't orgasm with my boyfriend unless I think about other women. Um, I'm not sure if this is just fantasy or if I should act on it and pursue a lesbian relationship. Ooh, well, I don't know about a relationship, but you might want to have some lesbian sex or bring a woman in. I mean, I'm all about having people in. I don't know what I you seem opposed to, Dr. Zoe. But after a while, things can get a little lackluster. You want to That's put true. That's true. I don't know. It depends on the relationship. What I have found in most um, people and mostly high-profile men that wanted to have threesomes, wanted to bring another man in first so the woman would feel like she was getting something, and then they did it so they could bring in another woman or whatever Ooh. the case may be. Usually that's how it works. Usually what happens is, is the man is bored, so he wants to bring, he wants to have a threesome with another woman. He wants to start fucking somebody else, but what he usually does, very highly intelligent, high-profile men, is they're smart, so they'll bring in another man first. So they'll have another man 
this is what I've seen over and over again. So they'll have another man come in. The woman is like, oh, yeah, this is awesome, you know, and whatever. So, yeah, this is this turns me on. Maybe she's uncomfortable with it at first, and then he talks her into it. They have the threesome with the man, and it's like, okay, well, now we've had sex with another man. Now I'm going to bring in another woman. Whenever these things go down, what I've seen, okay, since 90, 1998 and counseling people, thousands and thousands of relationships, usually nine out of ten times it doesn't work. It causes problems. But, but, with well, you, look who I'm talking to. You're like, talking you're so, about with women, too, so I don't know, I'm not straight. So right, that's true, that's true. You but have, with, yeah. With, with men, with men, the ideal of having a polyamorous or polygamous relationship where, where, where people are fairly open, it, it's not that odd of an idea. I mean, our community really kind of embraces our sexuality, and I think right. a bit more than, than, than the straight realm does. Absolutely. Um, and dare, dare, dare I call you guys breeders? <laughs> but that is what we refer to straight people in our, in our community as breeders. But the thing is, like, I just, I just feel like men are men. They, they aren't going to consistently want to go out and have new conquests, whether, right. whether they're married or not, whether that's with another guy or another woman. I just don't think they always take it to heart, and they're not always emotionally connected to those endeavors. For a female to say she's interested in another female, I mean, I, I would say, I mean, you can't tell yourself no. I mean, I, like I said about experiences, I think life is about them. Whether or not you have to talk to your husband about incorporating it or you decide to do it on the side, um, then you sort of have to sort of make that decision. I mean, you're the only one who knows who your husband is and who your relationship's with and, and how, how amendable they are to sort of that sort of a situation. Okay, so back to Shelly, who can't orgasm with her boyfriend unless she thinks about women. Shelly, this is very common. There's nothing, there's scientific facts that a woman, a straight woman, be shown a picture of another woman and she will uh, react sexually. A, a really? Gay woman, yes, and a gay oh. So she will react sexually to a picture of a woman or a man, okay? And it's and then a man though is more set on either male, male or female, okay? That's a that's a fact. Another fact is is that men, when it comes to fetishes, they have you know what I just talked to an expert about yesterday was 99 male fetishes to a female one, but more females are turned on by both sexes than men are turned on by both sexes. Yes. Bisexual males, but more females are turned on by both sexes. So, Shelly, you're totally freaking normal. Tell them to eat your pussy. Think about the women. But if you really want to experience, just see how it is and experience a woman and have the. If you haven't had those experiences, then I would definitely say have the experiences with the women. Okay, so. <laughs> I love you. I think you're amazing. That's all we have time for tonight. I really believe, like, as technology advances every day and us as human species, awareness and enlightenment, you know, we advance every single day. I honestly think that you're a prime example of what's possible in the advancements of cosmetic surgeries for men. Also, freely living as your authentic self. So one more time before we go, tell my listeners where they can check out what's going to be the latest with Justin Angelica. Sure. You can check me out on justinjedlica.com. Uh, everything else is all just listed under my name, Justin Jedlica, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. It's all pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> awesome. And thank you so much for being on the show. I can't wait to have you on again. 